But we are in Colossians tonight, uh, preaching a message to you, the eve of Thanksgiving, uh, preaching a message called A Lifestyle of Thanksgiving. And you sound so excited about it. You sound so thankful to hear the word. But uh, Colossians 3, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 in just a second. Let's thank God for the word and we'll jump in. Father, tonight we thank you, Lord God, for this time of the year, Lord, and all that's going on in the natural, the harvest and uh, the changing of seasons, Lord. And we take a time in our nation to stop and to be thankful. And uh, hopefully we remember what that's all about, Lord, tomorrow. I think uh, we need prayer for our nation, Lord God, that we would remember to be thankful for all the blessings we have because we are truly blessed. Even the poor in our country are rich by this comparison of the world standard. And so, Father, I pray that the word would come alive to us tonight and stir up thanksgiving in our hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Colossians 3, starting in 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There it is. All right, you can go home now. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we did some of that tonight, amen. How many understand worship prepares you for the word? Worship and the word go together like a one-two punch and it prepares us. And so as we've worshiped God tonight, we've prepared our hearts for the word. And, and the word is telling us here, uh, you know, about love and about unity and about peace. But what I want you to zero in on is that part where it says we're called in one body and to what? And be thankful. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. We're going to talk about that tonight. You might say, well, is it scriptural to practice Thanksgiving? Why take a day off and send everybody home and gather families around? Biggest travel day of the year so far. I mean, pray for those people who are traveling because it's already turning into a nightmare for some. But people are racing to get home to be with those they love to be around the Thanksgiving table. And as Christians, we need to look at every celebration and every memorial and every holiday and, and say, is it rooted in Scripture? Is it something that we should participate in? Uh, is Thanksgiving a scriptural practice? Well, Jesus himself practiced Thanksgiving. And I don't mean there was a turkey at the Last Supper. I mean, Jesus practiced Thanksgiving. And, you know, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the Scripture here in John 6, 10 through 12, it says, Jesus said to the people, have the people sit down. So he's about to do a miracle. He's about to multiply uh, some little scraps of food and feed a multitude. So he says, now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number and there were 5,000. Verse 11 of John 6. Then Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing would be lost. Jesus, in doing a miracle, gives thanks for the food that he's about to multiply to feed these thousands of people. 
Jesus was thankful. You say, what did, why did Jesus have to be thankful? He was fully God. Yeah, but he was clothed in flesh as he walked the earth, and he only did what he saw the Father doing, and he was completely thankful for the Father's leading, for the Father's comfort, for access to the Father. Do you realize how thankful Jesus was to have access to his Father while he was separated from heaven? Often he would run away to the wilderness to get alone. What? To be with his father. And he practiced thanksgiving in everything he did. He gave thanks to his heavenly father. And in this case, thanks led to a miracle that fed thousands. Jesus also taught his followers to continually practice thanksgiving as a remembrance that he would return. Listen to Luke 12, 17 through 20. And when he had taken the cup, here's Jesus again at the Last Supper, seems like Christians and food are always involved together. And when he had taken the cup, he had given thanks. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And he had taken some bread and given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he had eaten and said, this is the cup which is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. So even Jesus in offering himself, doing the symbolic ritual that we're to do uh, to remember he's coming back, the, the Lord's Supper together. He gives thanks for the cup, uh, for the blood. He gives thanks for the bread. He's giving thanks for his own body, his own blood that he's about to offer for the sins of humanity. That's thankfulness, amen. Thank you, Father, that I have this body to give to them, to be crucified in their stead so that they can be saved. Thank you, Father, for the blood that courses in my veins, though I was born as a little baby and I grew up in wisdom and favor with God. Man, I was under the sin nature but never sinned. So now my blood I have to offer. Thank you, Father. Wow. Jesus' thankfulness, Jesus's thankfulness that he taught his disciples to always give thanks. Uh, thanksgiving is biblical. It's something we should do. Uh, uh, you know, when, when you look at what Jesus is doing here as he offers himself, just a beautiful expression of thanking the Father that he had something to give on the cross that day. When God's people practice thanksgiving, it glorifies the Father. Christian, when people look at you, they don't want to see, you know, a self-centered, you know, all about me, you know, little curmudgeon. No, they want to see someone who has the joy of the Lord. Amen. How many know joy is contagious? You could be having a good day and someone walks into the room and they're all melancholy and they're all bumming and they're all, you know, and all of a sudden within five minutes, you're like, that stuff will get on you. Amen. And understand something. You know, thankfulness, when we are thankful and the world sees how thankful we are, even when things are not going right, even when times are tough and we're still thankful and have the joy of the Lord, that glorifies our Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through thanksgiving, abound to the glory of God. So we respond to the grace of God by being thankful, and people see it, and it glorifies our Father who's in heaven. So thanksgiving is a scriptural practice. Thanksgiving is something that Jesus practiced. Thanksgiving is something that God's children should practice. Now, thanksgiving has got to be more than these three things. 
It's got to be more than a yearly holiday that remembers the humble beginnings of our nation. How many remember when you were in school and they would teach on Thanksgiving before school was woke and, you know, and everything is bad and we stole the land from the Indians and Christopher Columbus is a bum and, you know, all that stuff? Remember you used to use your hand and draw a turkey? Come on, Thanksgiving in school, right? And then everybody was happy, and we got the story of the pilgrims and the Indians, and everybody was happy. But Thanksgiving's got to be more than that, than us just celebrating the humble beginnings of our nation. Even though we should be thankful for our nation, we should be thankful uh, for that first Thanksgiving where, you know, we, we were just being established here. It's got to be more than that. Thanksgiving has got to be more than a family feast all about turkey and stuffing and grandma's pumpkin pie. You know, sometimes families get so into the food that, you know, the meaning becomes the food. And it's not about food. It's not about turkey. It's not, a, although those, those things are all good and they're a blessing, you know, but, but we, shouldn't, we shouldn't just focus on that and, and, and eating. I remember that one time we used to have so much food on our table. My dad had to build a shelf to put on the table so we had a second layer so we could stack more food. We, we don't use it anymore. We, we got saved and delivered from gluttony, but it's got to be more than turkey. It's got to be more than, you know, those little special recipes, though. Isn't it a blessing, though, to get together with family and have everyone bring those things that, you know, I still remember my grandma used to make stuffed mushrooms all the time. We miss grandma, and we, we can't replicate her recipe. She took it to the grave with it. We try, but it's not quite there. So Thanksgiving's got to be more than just about food and more than the humble beginnings of our nation. It has to be more than a social event featuring gluttony followed by football and then the materialistic mayhem of Black Friday. Only in America can you be thankful on one day and kill someone for a TV in Walmart the next day. Come on, Wednesday night, smile. Some of you won't smile. I'm going to start, I'm going to bring my water gun to church and start squirting. You know, how, how, how is this possible? Where we're at the table and we're holding hands and thank you, Lord, and all the blessings and count your blessings. And the next day you see it on TV. People are murdering each other for toys. and It's nuts. It's got to be more than that. It's not about football. That was a, that was a delayed Amen. You know, some people, it's all about, oh, I'm going to stuff my belly and sit on the couch like a homeless person and watch football. Got to be more than that. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it comes to Thanksgiving. For the Christian, Thanksgiving must be a lifestyle. Why? Because the minute we stop being thankful, we start becoming ungrateful. Let me see that again Wednesday night. I know a lot of people are home getting the turkey ready and stuff, and there's a lot of people missing, but you're here on purpose tonight. So let me just say again to you, for the Christian, Thanksgiving is a lifestyle, and the minute we stop being thankful, that's the moment we start becoming ungrateful. 2 Timothy 3, 2 shows us that ungratefulness is a serious sin. See, people don't think ungratefulness is bad. Well, they just got a bad attitude or they're just worn out on the holidays or just they're just not a people person. Have you ever heard all the excuses for ungratefulness? They're having a bad decade, I mean day. But 2 Timothy 3, 2 says, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. 
Ungratefulness is really a sign of the times in the last days. That they're saying that the quintessential last days person who doesn't have a relationship with God is going to be categorically ungrateful. They're going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient, and ungrateful. And guess what, America? We're there. We're there. Come, Lord Jesus. Ungratefulness is a serious sin. It's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the last days generation. Living a lifestyle of thanksgiving is outlined in Colossians 3, the text I read to you at the beginning. And I'm going to give you three quick points on it, and then I'm going to let some people bring testimonies tonight of thanksgiving. And if you have one that you'd like to share and there's time, uh, we're going to let you do that too. So if the Holy Spirit's tugging on you, but let's hear a little bit about thanksgiving, and then let's hear a little thanksgiving. Amen? Living a life of thanksgiving begins with love. Being a loving person isn't a personality trait. It isn't a cultural thing. Oh, well, that culture is very loving. That culture is very stoic. And uh, No, being loving is not a cultural thing. It's not, you know, some personality trait that you either have or you don't have. If you were born with it, you know, a few special people were, you know, they were just born being really loving. No, being a loving person is a choice. If someone is categorically unloving, they've chosen to become bitter and not express love because God put love in all of our hearts because we're made in his image and God is love. It becomes a choice that we choose it, that we put it on like a garment. Look what it says here. It says, beyond all these things, put on love. I want you to think of love like as a nice, really comfortable sweatshirt that you pull on, and it's all well-fitted. You know those sweatshirts you got? Come on, guys. Your wife's been trying to throw it out for 15 years, but you've successfully hit it. Comfortable, warm, bullet holes, mustard stains. Put it on like a garment. Love. It's a choice. It's not something we're born with. It's not, you know, oh, my parents taught me to be. No, it's a choice to put on that garment of love. Now, it becomes very hard to remain thankful if we're motivated by anything other than love. Because if we're motivated by anything other than love, we're not going to be thankful. We're going to become introspective. We're going to become self-centered. We're going to think about what we don't have. We're going to think about what, you know, what we're not happy about. And all of a sudden, the love's not there. And, you know, we become all kind of shriveled up and just upset with life. Anybody ever been there? Well, love is the only way to go. Why? Because only love is unselfish. Only love is others-centered. Only love is self-sacrificing. You know, the key to being loving in life is to be other-centered. We're, we're probably going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But if we focus just on ourselves, we're not going to be loving because it's, it's too, the focus is in the wrong spot. So only love is unselfish. It's others-centered. Only love is focused more on giving than getting. You know, if you know people that just focus on getting, you know, sometimes even at Christmas time, we're, we're going to move out of Thanksgiving into Christmas, Black Friday, they're going to kill each other, they're going to get the gifts to give each other, and, you know, all, all of a sudden, uh, it's what am I getting, what am I getting, what am I getting? And I know most of us are grown up in here, and it's not about us getting anymore. We've, that, that's shifted, is, hasn't it? 
when you were a kid, it's like, oh, you know, now it's as an adult, it's like, oh, we got to buy everybody everything and we get nothing. So it's got to be about love. And I'll close this point down with 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It does not take into account wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. Love is the key to living a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Now, second key is in the text here. It says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond. Say bond. I want you to think of like a connection, an adhesive, uh, the perfect bond of unity. Let's take a look at there. Living a life of thanksgiving takes a special bond, and that is a bond of unity. Now, unity is something that if you have it at the Thanksgiving table, you're going to have a great day. Have you ever had everyone around the table and everybody's just happy to be there and nobody's got a bone to pick? And you, you, you carefully didn't invite that other person this year? Come on now. But when there's unity and everyone's on the same page and everybody's happy to be there, you're going to have a good day around the table. Why? Because that unity creates a special bond where love can flow. Now, this perfect bond of unity that is talked about in Colossians 3 is the byproduct uh, of something that Jesus purchased for us. And let me say something about unity. Unity is not the byproduct, byproduct of man's ability to compromise. You know what the world calls unity? Well, if I compromise and you compromise and we both compromise and meet in the middle, we can have unity. There's some things as Christians we can't compromise about. So there's some people we can't have unity with. Let me say that again. There's some things as Christians we can't compromise about. So we can't have unity with certain people. So understand that unity is not about compromising, especially compromising our godly standards uh, with ungodly people to produce a fake unity. Unity is a gift that Jesus purchased for us as believers. Come on, did you hear that? Jesus purchased unity for us in the body of Christ where we become one in him and he's the head and we're all part of the same body on the same page, on the same team. Amen? Unity is what we need at our Thanksgiving table. It's what we need in our church. It's what we need in our marriages. It's what we need in our families. And unity allows the love to flow. Unity allows us to be thankful. Now, I'm not saying if, you know, you're with people that agree with you all the time, you can't be happy. I'm saying that, you know, there has to be this bond of unity to, to have a thankful heart. Why? Because there's no clash where there's unity. And there's peace that leads to love. I wish somebody would get what I was saying tonight. How you doing over there, Tim? Am I doing good? Should I keep going? I always check with him. So unity is something we've got to have in our lives, in our families, around our Thanksgiving table. As much as possible, we should strive to have unity. It's something Jesus bought for us in the body of Christ. Now, the last thing I want to talk about from Colossians 3 here, for making... Thanksgiving a lifestyle is this, that lifestyle of Thanksgiving, you need that bond of unity, you need love, but you also need peace. It says here in verse 15, 
that let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. You know, peace is the most important component that we can have in our lives. It's not money. It's not success. It's not notoriety. It's not having everybody think we're wonderful. That's what the world tells you. Well, if you're popular and you, you have a large following and you're successful and you, you know, you're on the red carpet and everybody thinks you're great, then, then you can have peace. That's absolutely wrong. Some of the people who are the richest people, the most famous people, the most successful people are also the most miserable people. Now, I'm not celebrating that because I want them to have the joy of the Lord, too. But I'm just bringing it up because we need to be reminded of that because we get enamored by those things. And we think that's where the peace is, but that's not where the peace is. The peace is in being right with God and doing the will of God and being in Christ So when you lay your head on your pillow at night, even though the whole world is unraveling all around you, you can sleep like a baby because you know that Jesus has got you, that God has got you, and you can have the peace of God. To be thankful to the point where thankfulness becomes a lifestyle, we have to have peace in five important areas, and I want to cover them quickly, and then we're going to let some people testify tonight. We've got to have peace in these areas in our life. We need to be at peace with, number one, our eternal destiny. I want you to know something. If you've accepted Jesus Christ and you're a child of God, you're saved and you're going to heaven. And you've got to be at peace with your eternal destiny. There's too many Christians that walk around wondering if they're going to make it. There's too many Christians wondering, walking around, am I really saved? And we get out of grace and we get back into works and we look at ourselves and we don't measure up and we don't add up. And the devil tells us, you're not going to make it. And he's a liar. Well, I wish somebody get this tonight. I don't know about you, but if we're being honest in church, there's times where all of us feel like I'm not going to make it. You say, even you, pastor? Yeah, usually by the middle of the week, I'm not going to make it. Am I even saved in traffic? Am I even saved? We've got to be at peace with our eternal destiny. If you're saved tonight, if you've given your life to Christ, if you know you've been born again, then your eternity is settled. And Jesus is keeping power. Listen, Jesus is keeping power, is well able to keep you. If we could mess it up, we'd mess it up, but it's not on us. It's on him. He said, Father, I have not lost one that you put into my hands, not one. And he's still batting a 1,000. And he's not going to break his record with you or me. Oh, I was batting a 1,000 until Leonardi. Then I just, I just couldn't keep hold of that one. No, we've got to be at peace with our eternal destiny. Number two, we've got to be at peace with our station in life. And that looks like this. I know who I am, and I know what I'm here for. And I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not striving for something I'm not called to be. You know, this is something that, With every one of us, we've got to be comfortable with what God's called us to be. But I wanted to be this, but I wanted to be that, but I wanted to be a spaceman and go to the moon. But God called you to stay here and raise godly children and be a light in your church and serve in the ministry and do. Listen, we've got to be comfortable with our station in life. Why? Because he's called us and gifted us and equipped us to do a certain thing And if we do it, no matter how glamorous or unglamorous it looks, if we do it in the end, we win. 
Number three, we've got to be at peace with our strengths and our weaknesses. All of us have strengths, say amen. All of us have weaknesses, say amen. Well, that was an equal amen. So you, you guys are spiritually mature. That's good. Some people have a real hard time admitting weaknesses, that they're not good at something. Why? Because in the world, if you admit a weakness, you'll attract all those sharks out there that will exploit it and try to rip you apart and try to tear, tear you apart. And t- Listen, in the, in the body of Christ, we can admit where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are and be totally comfortable with it. There are certain things I'm good at that, that I'm anointed for that sometimes I'm so good at it, I shock myself. And there's other things where, man, that is not me. And it's beyond pitiful. God, help me with this. And God is going, it's not your call, not your job, not your gift. Some people can never get past the fact that they have weaknesses, so they try to cover them up in all kinds of ways that are unhealthy. They try to project strength where they don't have any, and they become confusing to other people. Look, if I never showed you that my notes are flying away, they don't want to stay. If I never showed you that, you know, there's things that I, I, I'm not, you know, good at or that I don't have under control or that I haven't perfected, then that, what does that do to everybody who looks to you, uh, you know, for guidance or, or for growth? It makes them think, well, they can't have any imperfections either. And if they do, they better hide them. Wow. Our transparency allows other people to fall and skin their knees and get back up and try again. So be at peace with your strengths and your weaknesses. Be at peace with your station life. Be at peace with your eternal destiny. If you're saved, you're saved, and thank God for it. Number four, be at peace with the lordship of Jesus Christ. There are some people, it is a constant fight, a constant struggle of war. Why why aren't they thankful? Because they're constantly trying to buck the lordship of Jesus Christ and be in control of their own path. I'm not the boss, and I'm okay with that. I'm not the Lord, and I'm okay with that. So understand, ah, the heck with that. Let it stay there. Number five, we've got to be at peace, lastly, with laying down our life for the kingdom of God. Some of us are happy we're saved, and we know it. We we are comfortable with our station in life. We know we have strengths. We know we have weaknesses. We know that Jesus is Lord, but laying down our life is the hardest thing we've ever been asked to do. And we constantly put down our cross, and pick up our life and try and save it. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find that if you try and save it, you're going to lose it. Isn't that what he said? And so we've got to be comfortable and at peace with the laying down of our lives, willing to lose our life so that we can find it. This is the exact opposite of what the world will tell you. But it's what Scripture tells us. to Take up our cross to lose our life so that we could find it and to follow Jesus, make him Lord, be comfortable with our strengths and weaknesses, accept our station in life, and accept the fact that we're saved by grace and on our way to heaven because of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So in the final analysis, Colossians 3 tells us to be thankful, tells us to put on love like a garment. So it's a choice. If we're miserable, if we're unhappy, if we're not thankful, we've chosen that. And the good news is we can start tonight by choosing a different path. Now, I've asked a few people to come share. Uh, Tom is going to come first and just share a testimony of Thanksgiving, something that you're thankful for. I picked a few people. 
Uh, but if we have time, we're going to let a few more go. And uh, why don't we give, I can't hear you. Do you need a podium, Tom? No. Do some people need a podium? All right, Charles. <laughs> All right, ushers, take Charles outside. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Tommy. She won't bite, just a little bit. Thank so you. It usually heals fast. We, al we always say. Well, um, as Pastor Rick just said, he asked, um, he asked me the other day, would I be willing to share a, an account of something I'm thankful for? And I said, sure, I can find something like that, and I did. So even just a couple hours ago, we spoke, and he said, are you ready for your sharing of Thanksgiving for tonight? And I said, sure am. I've got this. But you know what? It's nothing like a good worship service to throw a curveball. Right, so, so I, I will share something a little different, and it's going to be shorter than this. So, um, you know, I, I got saved when I was 17 years old. Um, Rosemary and I got married um, in our early 20s, and it was like 12 years before we had any children. And our first son came along, and um, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, the Bible tells us that children are a blessing from the Lord. And you know what? But through um, my, my son and my later son, Josh, who came after Tim, um, I was taught a lesson from the Lord that was a monumental point in my walk with God. I had been saved for like 20 years, I guess, when, and that was like 35 years ago, you know, when Tim was um, just born. And um, I give you a little background. I grew up without a father. Um, my mom and dad were divorced when I was very young. I hardly had a couple of memories of him. Um, but, and my wife, Rosemary, was really not in line to have children because she was a child of the 60s, 70s, you know, and women's lib and all that kind of thing. So she was prepared to just go the career and all that. But the Lord worked on her heart and changed her heart. And she did get pregnant. And we built our dream house in Putnam Valley. You would like this. We were up against 63 acres of DEC land, which was next to 200 acres of undeveloped land, and which was behind that was Fawnstock Park. So we, that was my dream. And about after we moved in, we built a house, we moved in. And my son Timothy was born about three months after that. And I can remember uh, sitting, um, my job after work was to spend some time. And I would um, just um, take him in the room before I put him to bed, not the bed, but the crib. And I held him in my arms. And I just held him, and he was so tiny. And I was like flooded with this love. And I just loved him so much. And the thought came to me, you know, what that was, was that was the love of the Father. And um, the thought that came to me was, as I sat there and I held him, we had this rocking chair. And as I held him and I just was like pouring out, you know, in my, my soul, my love for him, 
I got a word that kind of said, I kind of lifted my hand up to the Lord, you know. And what came to me, I said, I was never held like this by a man. And I never received the love of the Father. But through my son, I came to know the love of the And I lifted my hands up and I said, if I can love this boy this much, how much more does my Heavenly Father love? And 20 years, or was that 20 years? Uh, 20 years in the Lord, I never knew Father, you know, Father God as Father. I knew Jesus, we walked together, but I never knew that comforting love of the Father. He was always the man, you know, the, the, the powerful one on the throne in heaven. But God was bringing me through a healing, and the first thing he wanted to heal me was the father wound. And what he wanted to do was to let me know how much he loved me. And, um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, that started a quest, actually, in my heart that I wanted to know my father. So I looked him up, and I found him. And Tim was still a, a young guy. This is probably about a year later. And we, we made arrangements to meet in Southampton on Long Island. And we went there to meet. And um, I were at a restaurant, but I'm standing outside, and I see him coming. And I, I know it's him, although I didn't. But he was dressed in, he had a wool Irish shepherd's cap. A woolen sweater, broad corduroy pants. It was very handsome man, really striking. And I looked down at my feet. I've got a woolen shepherd's cap on. I've got a woolen sweater on and wide, broad corduroy pants. And it was amazing. And uh, that was just something that the Lord did to heal me. And I think give me a testimony to share with other people. Um, and needless to say, after all that, I am. Um, when Pastor Rick told me he had me down to share tonight, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how it goes down in the Leonardo house. You're, you're sharing tomorrow night. Um, so I, I, had a, I was having a hard time because this I just had a really hard week at work this week and um, just was feeling really sad because, um, just, you know, the stress at work plus thinking of my family, and we don't get to see them during the holidays. I'm Canadian, and my family's in Canada. My brother's in Australia, so I never get to spend the holidays with them. So um, just was having a hard time. I, I, was, I just wanted to tell him I can't. Can't do it tonight because I'm a hot mess. And then I saw something on social media that said, you can be sad and thankful, just like you can still, just like you can be full and still eat pie. So, so I said I'll share 
tonight about how I am thankful for God's faithfulness and his goodness in my life. And he has always been faithful and always been good. And uh, as I look back, I can never remember a time where he wasn't good to me. Um, I grew up with, in a beautiful family. And um, go going through high school, I, my sisters, I have t two sisters and a brother, and we were the only Christians in our whole school. So um, the Lord kept me through that. I kept my faith through that, even though being alone in my faith. As Pastor Rick talked about God's keeping power, he kept me through that. And I believe that's a testimony in itself. Um, <clears throat> brought me to the U.S. <laughs> when I was uh, 18 years old, I left home um, to, un unknown to me at the time, to walk, begin walking the path that God had for my life. And um, I, I wanted to encourage somebody tonight that when you have to sometimes when you have to sacrifice things, God still blesses with other things. And I married into a beautiful family a very loving and kind family who I love very much. And um, I have a beautiful church family. And of course, two beautiful boys and a husband who is more than amazing in so many ways. Not perfect, but perfect for me. And I'm not perfect either. Um, but he has been faithful to me in so many ways. And every step that I took was directed by him even when I didn't know it. I didn't plan to go to Bible college uh, 3,000 miles away from home where I would stay for the next 32 years of my life. And um, yet the Lord brought me down that path, and he has never left me alone since that time. <clears throat> um, so when you follow God's path, his goodness will follow you. And I love the song that we sing because I feel like it's true in my life, that all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And Psalm 23 says, certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and I, my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Sister Kim, for that testimony. Thank you. Love. Um, first of all, I want to, I want to, as many of you know, um, my son passed away, hallelujah, recently. And um, I want to thank you for the love that you showed and the replies on social media, uh, the love that you poured out to me at that time, seeing Pastor Rick and Pastor and, and Brother Miller, uh, Brother Velotti and Tom were coming out to the funeral, and um, it, it was very supportive. 
And I was very grateful. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I don't know if you heard my story. <laughs> I don't know if you heard my story, but I was, I, the bottom line is this. I had no intention of staying here. I came here. I walked in. You know, I was looking for a church. I had moved to Pauling from the Bronx, and I'm looking for a church, and I walked in here, and I saw all of you, and I said, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way I can stay here. Um, and then, uh, and then I think I, it was Hillsong, uh, um, Hillsong's Hosanna, and I said, wow, what in the world is that they're singing? Hallelujah. So it, it was, I kept coming. My wife liked the song, and we came back. But I had no intention of staying here, none. So one day, I was here worshiping, and I, I was trying to worship. You know, I, I was saying, well, they're singing. Let me... Let me just, just get into it and try and see what I can do. <laughs> because I had explored Poughkeepsie. I didn't like what I saw there. And uh, so I started singing. And I started, and then I, I got into it. And next thing I know, I said, oh, yes, Lord. And the devil told me, these white people are going to kick you out of here if you don't be quiet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's, that's just what came. That's, just what, that's, the, that's the way it came, people. I'm sorry, but that's the way it came. <laughs> um, you know, when you grow up in an all-black church forever, you, you don't, you don't and, and, you know, you don't see things the same way. When you come out of it, you're looking for, because I went to Poughkeepsie looking for an all-black church. Hallelujah. That's what I did. And um, let me tell you, <laughs> I've just been blessed. So after saying, oh, yes, Lord, I got up. The service was about to end. Sister Donna came over to me, and she said, boy, I love the way you worship. The rest is history, people. <laughs> what she did was showed me love. That's what she did. She showed me love. Then others start to show me love. You understand? Um, too numerous to name. But others, as I came in, they started to show love for me. Love to me. You know, welcome me. And, 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 and I started to become comfortable with the worship. I still had reservations. <laughs> I still had reservations, but as I started to get into it, you know, I realized, listen, these songs are worship songs. There's no such thing as a song that's, oh, it's a black hymn. It's a, you know, a white hymn or whatever the case may be. And so I started to get into it. And people, I, I you know, I often wish that my family in the Bronx could experience, you know, worship. Just worship, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You know, worship is worship, hallelujah. Worship comes from here. It's gratitude, it's love. 
And Sister Donna showing me that love opened up a flood of joy. Of joy, people. You know, then I, I Pastor Rick was preaching. <laughs> Pastor Rick said, we, uh, we need some help. I need some help, he said. Um, but he wasn't Pacific. So I was working a three-day week, 12 hours a day. I had three days off. I, I wouldn't have never moved up here. Matter of fact, if, if I wasn't, it's too far. <laughs> I was working in, on Wall Street. And, and, um, but it was a three-day week, and I liked the house, so I moved and everything, and I came. So I started to, uh, I heard him preach about he needed help. Oh, wait. So I'm thinking that he needs help for his sermon or something. Now, I was going to yeah, I, I could help him, you know, help him write something. <laughs> so I came, to, uh, I came to his father, and I said, uh, I'm here. So what can I do? So he, he said, okay. He escorted me to the bathroom. He said, the bathrooms need cleaning. I said, what? <laughs> The bathrooms need cleaning. Oh, my God. All right. Make a long story short. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I started cleaning that bathroom. I would come in on my days off. I was off four days a week. I worked on a three-day week, like I said, 12 hours a day in uh, IT. And so I started mopping and, and singing and, and doing. You know, I was I was... I humbled myself. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I started um, singing and mopping. And, and, and the next thing I know, I had this joy. Hallelujah. This joy. This, uh, this, uh, this unspeakable joy. Hallelujah. So, so, so I kept that up. And I was supposed to just do the bathroom. Next thing I know, I was doing the whole corridors. I was, you know. We had um, uh, brother, brother um, why do I say Henry? Um, anyway, it'll come to me. Him and his wife used to come here on Wednesdays. Neil, <laughs> brother Neil and his wife would come on Wednesdays and uh, they would bring music. And the, the next thing I know, I was just supposed to do the bathroom. I was scrubbing all out in the hallways. I was just singing and moving, and and, and this joy. I had this, 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 this. I mean, it was it was incredible. The love. Then I would go into um, um. Into Pastor Rick's, uh, uh father's, uh, office. And we talk and sit down, and I start telling him about my experiences in the Bronx. Next thing, I was pouring my heart out to him about what I had experienced. You know, that was because of the love that he showed. It made, me, it, made it easier for me to talk to Fred. Hallelujah. Kept coming. You understand? Kept coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Wednesday night service, I'm here. Sunday service, I'm here. This love that they showed me, 
that you showed me. This love that you showed me helped me coming. And eventually, uh, I started listening to the pastor preaching about outreach and going on missions. And I got very, very excited about it in my spirit, but I didn't know what to do with it. But eventually, I saw an opportunity to go to Africa. And I brought, brought it to the pastor. Well, he said, when you're going and I'll, um, I'll preach, you know, I'll preach about it a week or two before you go. I'll preach on mission. I didn't expect to hear that, but <laughs> when he said that, now I was I was stuck. I had to do what I had what I planned to do. I had I was no backing out this time. There was no backing out. Praise God. Um, you don't know what you're doing when you show the love for people. You don't know what it's going to come to. Can I get my picture? And so eventually I went to Africa. I started, I came to you about a church in Africa, the people that needed a church to be built. Make a long story short, this is the, this is the outcome of your love. This is the outcome of your love. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Listen. You, what's that saying? You can't make this up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this is nothing short of a miracle. Hallelujah. This is the outcome of your love. And, and, and how many people, we, can't, we don't know, how many people won't be saved and come to the Lord through these efforts? This is a, a, a full gospel church of the Gambia. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because of the love that was shown to me, when I walked in these doors, I want to encourage you. Seek out the newcomer. Hallelujah. Seek out the newcomer. Reach out your hand. Show your love. You never know what it's going to lead to. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for what we did to poor Charles. <laughs> Hosanna, music, and toilets. Good evening, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, when Pastor came and asked me to give a testimony, um, this testimony happened a few years ago, but it's always been on my heart, and I, I shared it with a few people, and I'm, I'm so blessed to share it with you tonight about God's grace and mercy. Um, most of you know my husband, Mike, and you know that he loves to work outside, especially if there's a tree. Um, but for 30 years, Mike worked for Con Ed, and he was behind a desk. And at one point, he said to me, way before he retired, he said, you know, Patty, I pray that someday I'll be able to work outside and maybe be a caretaker. Well, he didn't know how soon his uh, wish would come true. I worked for a law firm for about 24 years, and the senior partner there, uh, his name was Phil, and uh, he was a great attorney. If you went to court, you wanted Phil on your side. But he was also very pushy and always wanted his own way. And he'd walk in a room, people would walk out because he wanted something done, and he wanted it done yesterday. 
Um, he was very intimidating, and I was one that he intimidated a lot, but I loved my job. And um, Mike got to meet Phil through some social parties we had with the firm. And Phil found out that Mike liked to paint on the side, so he asked Mike to come paint his kitchen. And during the time he was painting, he came in and he said to Mike, I just fired my caretaker and I want you to start working for me. And Mike said, well, wait a minute, I've got a full-time job. He said, it doesn't matter. Show up on Saturday and when you retire, you can get more hours. So Phil never asked, he always told. But actually, Mike loved it because he thought, wow, this is great. So he started doing it on Saturdays. And he learned how to tap maple trees and make maple syrup and uh, prune apple trees and worked on 30 acres and he loved every moment of it and they became very good friends and Phil knew that Mike and I were Christians he knew we attended this church and for many years Phil would donate a tree for Christmas and we would invite Phil to come to church and say come see your tree it's all lit up and maybe you'll stay for the message and he always had an excuse but um, he used to tell Mike that he was agnostic well, anyway, they got along well, and they worked very hard. And during one of the days that he was working with Mike, Mike was 20 years younger than Phil, but Mike ended up retiring before Phil ever did. And um, he said to Mike, he said, you know, if I get old and feeble, and I have to have people helping me, I'm going in this garage here, and I'm shutting the door, putting the key in the ignition, and that's it. And Mike was like, well, that's kind of crazy talk, but just ignored him. So Phil actually worked at the law firm till he was around 91. He became of counsel. He was a very smart man. And uh, when he was around 91, he had some medical issues. He was going to have a, I guess, a knee replacement or something. And the doctor had him go for um, a bunch of tests. And they found out that he had cancer of the spine. And he didn't tell Mike right away. And when he did tell Mike, he said, I'm going to live life to the fullest. And, uh, and he did um, for about a year. And I would go up there and say, hey, Phil, how you doing? And he said, Patty, I'm living life to the fullest. And then he started to decline. He started to fall. Then he had to use a walker. And then he had to go to a wheelchair. Well, one night I had a dream. And in this dream, I was, Mike and I were in this, it was a morgue. And there were gurneys and dead people. And all of a sudden, I saw Phil, and I, I went to stand in front of Mike because I didn't want Mike to see him because Mike absolutely loved, loved him. And I started to cry, and I said, please, God, let this be a dream because somebody needs to go to Phil and tell him about Jesus. And I woke up. The next day, I shared this dream with someone, and they said, Pat, I think you're the one that's going to have to talk to Phil. I didn't have a problem talking about Jesus, but there was a part of me that still felt intimidated by him because he always won an argument. And it's very hard to talk to somebody when they feel they're always right. But anyway, Mike used to go there every Saturday morning for breakfast. They'd have donuts and coffee. And I said, do you think I can come? He called Phil. He said, yeah, sure, bring her. So I get there, and there's a whole bunch of people in his house. Uh, he had company from Pennsylvania. His daughter was there. And I'm talking to God in my mind and saying, OK, you got to get rid of these people because I'm going to talk. I can't have them all around me. And little by little, they started leaving. And then it was me and Phil and his wife. And I said, Phil, can I pray for you? And he said, yes, yes, you can. And it was a simple prayer. I just said, 
Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to Phil. Let him know how much you love him. And could you bring healing to him? And he thanked me. And the next day he actually called me and he said, Pat, I'd love to come in. You come into the house. He said, come again. Bring the donuts. But I will. Well, then he really started to fail. And, and it, it was um, it was really getting hard for everybody. And uh, Mike was running the place. By that time, Mike was retired. And he was running the whole farm. But he would come in every day. And he would tell Phil what he had done and say goodbye. And Phil called him into the kitchen. And he was sitting there with Natalie. And they were both crying. And he says to Mike, I want you to tell Natalie my plans. I want you to tell her what I told you years ago, that I'm going in the garage and I'm closing the door and it's going to be over. And he said, just confirm this to Natalie right now. And Mike was frozen. He didn't know what to say. And he just said, I confirm what you say, Phil. And Mike left. And he came home and he told me. I said, my gosh, Mike, we got, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go over there now. We got to go. We got to. And I said, call his daughter and see if we can. So he called Sally. She said, no, you can't come over tonight. She said, his lawyer and his doctor are coming. I said, oh, my God. Maybe it's assisted suicide. I mean, I work for attorneys. I, you know, I, anything could happen. She says, Patty, she said, no, that's it. We can't go. So the next morning, he called Sally again. And she said, OK, you can come out for just five minutes. So on our way there, I called Sister Nancy. And I asked her to pray. Just pray, we're going there, I don't know what I'm going to say. So we got there, and Phil has a 1,000-foot driveway, and he's got a circular drive, a circular driveway in front of his house, and beautiful plants and flowers, and, and he and Natalie are sitting there in their wheelchairs. And um, I learned to love Phil. I saw a side of Phil that I never saw before. I saw a man who was so proud, and now he's so humble. And I saw how much he loved and he respected my husband so much. And they were best friends. But I knew I had to talk to Phil on his level. So I went over and I said, Phil, if there was something, a matter of life or death, that I needed to know, would you tell me? He said, absolutely. I said, well, there's something I need to tell you, and it's a matter of life or death. I said, God is real, heaven is real, and Jesus is at the door, and he's knocking. And all you have to do is say yes. He says, Patty, I, I believe there's a God, but I really want to have some quiet time with my family. I said, okay, Phil, that's fine. I respect that. We said goodbye, and we came home. I didn't call anybody and talk to anybody. But then Mike and I were talking, and I said, Mike, did you, you know, I know Phil has really beautiful blue eyes. Did you notice his eyes? What are you talking about? I said, Mike, they, they were so bright. They were glowing. Didn't, didn't you notice his bright eyes? I said, No. And then he went inside. But I, I, I couldn't contain myself. I ran after him. I said, Mike, you must have seen his eyes. They were glowing. They were so, so bright. He says, Patty, guys don't look at other guys' eyes. That shut me up, right? So the next morning, I did an email. I didn't know. I said, God, okay. In your hand. The next morning, I get this email from Sister Nancy, and it says, Hi, sweet lady. Wanted to share the dream I had as I was waking up this morning. It was so vivid and clear. I know the man I saw was Phil. i never seen him, but this man was sleeping. He looked very weak, but all of a sudden, he opened his eyes wide, and they actually were so bright. 
with recognition. I started screaming, running up and down the hallway. Mike, Nancy saw Phil's bright eyes. She saw his bright eyes. And she says, he reached his hand and he smiled and a hand reached out and took his. I woke up. I believe the hand was Jesus. And when it's time for Phil to go, he will take him home. Only God knew, only God knew that I saw that. I never in my life have ever seen that of someone dying with their eyes so bright and Nancy dreamt that. So I just want to tell you, whoever you might be in contact with that has, uh, that intimidates you or you're afraid to tell them about Jesus or you, you don't, you feel held back, do it because God will make a way. He made a way with his mercy and grace for Phil. He'll make a way for you too. Thank you. Amen. We're just about out of time. Why don't we bow our heads tonight? Father, I just thank you tonight, Lord, that we have so much to be thankful for, Lord, and that each of us could share answers to prayer and breakthroughs in our own lives and times where you protected us and kept us from harm. Father, help us, Lord God, to be a thankful people, to share testimonies like this with one another and to step out in faith, Lord God. I thank you for all the all the principles that we learn from these testimonies tonight. Tom just getting the Father's love and having that connection, uh, answers to prayer, Lord God. Charles being willing to humble himself and you using him for missions. And Lord, there's, there's just so many things that we have to be thankful for. And I pray, Lord God, that we would live a lifestyle of thanksgiving, that we wouldn't just be thankful for food and football and Sales in the stores, Lord God, but we'd, we'd rise so much above that and be thankful for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.